Hello and welcome to Healthline 3, I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with board certified rheumatologist Dr. Robert Goodman of the Arthritis and Rheumatology Clinic right here in Shreveport. We're talking about treatments of rheumatoid arthritis. Dr. Goodman will take an in-depth look at the latest information regarding treatment for RA and for the next half hour and then he'll answer some questions and you can be sure and call in. But before we get started, Dr. Goodman will give an overview of treatments for RA for the first 10 minutes or so of the simulcast. And then following that, you can please call with any questions you may have about this topic using the number that you'll see at the bottom of your screen. It's 318-219-4569. Dr. Goodman, thank you so much for being here as always. Look forward to this conversation. Glad to be here. It's our pleasure. So go ahead and give us an overall and set us up for what rheumatoid arthritis really is. Well, Terry, rheumatoid arthritis is the, one of our most common autoimmune diseases and probably the most common autoimmune disease. And in rheumatoid arthritis, the immune system makes a mistake and attacks the inner lining of the joints. The name of the uh, tissue in the inner lining of the joints is called the synovium. And so classically, rheumatoid arthritis is inflammation of the synovium called a synovitis. And uh, we have 14 joints in our left hand and 14 joints in our right hand. So there are 28 joints right here. And um, rheumatoid arthritis is measured by the doctor counting the number of swollen joints the number of tender joints um, and uh, putting together a disease activity score and it's often called a DAS-28 to try to measure how much inflammation is in the body of the patient with rheumatoid arthritis and our goal is to try to push those numbers down. So if a person has 10 or 12 swollen joints at the beginning of treatment we would like to get fewer and fewer and fewer swollen joints and then we do lab tests to try to determine how much inflammation is on the lab test and then we're talking to the patient to ask them uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Is the pain better? And you put together all of that information to try to get a patient near remission or into remission. It's incredible just when you mention about we talk about our joints and we'll say oh, our hands or our fingers or our knees or those joints but to think how many joints are actually in our hands and fingers when you and, really think about that. And, and the rheumatoid arthritis um, is one of the diseases that has more of the arthritis focusing on the small joints of our hands. The wear and tear type of arthritis called osteoarthritis, it's usually in the joints that are the weight bearing joints, hips, knees, low back. Um, gouty arthritis is in the big toe. Uh, but rheumatoid arthritis really focuses in the small joints of the hand, so uh, it affects people that are uh, doing keyboarding, the, it, people that are in food preparation, people that are teachers and doctors and lawyers and uh, reporters and, uh, and news anchors. All of those people will be affected because of use of the small joints of their hands might be limited. It also causes a lot of fatigue and just feeling Terrible. Right, and not to mention the emotional um, taxing it can have on you because even in everyday life, I know I've had relatives who, a relative in particular, and his hands were very much curled outward to then the, the joints were very swollen, and he had to keep a butter knife with him to open a can of something, and he would keep little utensils around to help him open things because he just couldn't get a grasp on what he needed to do just for everyday life. Well, so it's interesting that you made that description of that uh, relative of yours because a rheumatoid arthritis was was first described by Dr. Forestier at the Sorbonne in Paris, France, and this was in about 1871. About 15 years later, the uh, painter Renoir do, drew a pencil sketch of a self-portrait of himself. 
and he has a picture of himself and his hand is closest to, I guess he's looking in a mirror, and he draws the deformities of rheumatoid arthritis in his self-portrait. That pencil sketch was on the cover of one of the classic textbooks for rheumatoid arthritis for several editions. So we suspect that um, in Paris, France, in the uh, middle and latter part of the 19th century, there was a lot of people that had rheumatoid arthritis. Dr. Forestier described it, and it was the first description in modern medicine. Uh, Auguste Renoir, one of the giants of impressionist painting, uh, had these deformities in his hands. And you can imagine that he probably was a very precise painter early in his career. Then he develops rheumatoid arthritis, and he has to do more of an impressionist picture, and so he becomes a master of color and a master of light, but he's not as precise in painting a, a single line, so he has, so he develops a different talent and, uh, uh, and spawns this new age of art. Yeah, and yet we loved it. He kept painting no matter what and yeah. developed into a different way and we loved it. Yes, yeah. uh, he didn't have those uh, uh, options that we have today that we can offer patients to keep that deformity that you're describing from happening and that's really one of our goals. If we can get the patient near remission or in remission, um, if we can take the number of swollen and tender joints in somebody like Renoir or somebody like your family member, and if it was maybe 15 joints, maybe seven in this hand and eight in that hand, um, and we can put them on a treatment and it goes from eight down to six, down to three, down to just none in this hand and maybe one in that hand, we're making, a prog we're making progress so the person who would have had rheumatoid arthritis um, in, in 2022 will be less likely to go on and get those classic deformities. And that's where we really want to be. Yeah, I love your stories so much. You know I do. I love Thanks. them. and It's fascinating. And we think about, too, the breakthroughs in research. Obviously, rheumatoid arthritis and all these conditions have been around for as long as back, it, far as back when Renoir was painting. Yes, that's um, right. But the breakthroughs in research um, are just and, amazing. And it, and it goes th through like a history. Um, after Renoir, uh, doctors were wondering, is rheumatoid arthritis due to an infection? And so they would try medicines that were used for infections. They tried heavy metals, arsenic and gold were used uh, for other infectious diseases in, um, around World War I. And so gold shots were used for rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, between World War I and World War II, sulfur drugs developed. And so um, um, Dr. Nana Schwartz, a uh, female rheumatologist at the Karolinski Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, put together sulfur drugs and aspirin, oh. and it's still used today. It's called asulfadine, used for two inflammatory diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, and our gastroenterology colleagues use that same medicine for a different inflammatory disease, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. Again, primitive medicines, but making a start. Then along come an, uh, a medicine for malaria, an anti-malarial called Plaquenil, uh, and it is one of the early DMARDs along with gold shots. 
Um, and then later on we started using methotrexate, uh, which is uh, still used today to treat rheumatoid arthritis. But really in right around the turn of the 20th and the 21st century, we really got into modern uh, immunology and modern ways to treat rheumatoid arthritis. It's really fascinating how we'll find new modern ways to do it, but we're still holding on to what we learned even back then. It's not like we let go of it. We still right. use that and modify it. And, and, and you're, you're growing on the, uh, on the uh, research of uh, uh, people who uh, are giants in, in medicine in general and in rheumatology and in um, uh, general medicine as well uh, to try to get better at understanding the immune system. How does it cause this inflammation of the joints that we call a synovitis, and how can we help the patient? That's the most important thing. Yeah, the, just the sharing of information throughout the years and centuries, as I'm sure people are going to be learning forever on what you're finding out too, and it just keeps feeding the information and growing and helping people go into remission. And so what is the goal of going into remission? Well, the goal is to uh, decrease the amount of inflammation in the body. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, a rheumatologist <coughs> can, there are uh, 56 joints that, uh, or 66 joints that a rheumatologist can see if there's inflammation in, uh, if they uh, get the patient completely disrobed. But um, a more practical thing is to look at these 28 joints as a sort of a, a benchmark of how much inflammation is going on in the body and seeing if there are fewer and fewer swollen and tender joints. Also checking lab work. So we're, our goal is to get to one or zero swollen joints and one or zero tender joints and to have those lab tests be improving. Uh, and we build on medicines like the anti-malarial uh, Plaquenil or the medicine called methotrexate. And in 1999, um, uh, the first tumor necrosis factor blocker or TNF blocker called Enbrel, uh, and it was followed in uh, short order by uh, two other uh, TNF blockers, Remicade and Humira, which might be considered our first generation of biologics. And they interrupt with or block uh, a chemical called tumor necrosis factor or tumor TNF, which is like an order uh, in the immunologic cascade of orders and it's trying to interrupt an order in the chain of command that is causing this disease, rheumatoid arthritis. That was sort of the first generation of medications, and it, and it really took us from maybe having a chance of remission from maybe 10% to 20 or 25%, but then we have other medications if those medications work for a while or quit working or never work as well. Great, and excuse me for my cough. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so tell us about the secondary category of medicines. Well, uh, the uh, secondary category of medications after the tumor necrosis factor blockers have been um, blocking a chemical called interleukin-6. Uh, interleukin-6 blockers include a medicine called Actimera and Kefzara. These medicines, as well as the TNF blockers, are large molecules, so that means that um, they have to be given as a shot or an IV. Um, smaller molecules can be uh, given by mouth, but if you give a big molecule uh, like uh, Humera uh, in the mouth, um, our digestive juices break it up and it render it inactive. And that's the same reason you have to get insulin as a shot, because insulin is a large molecule and it has to be, uh, the whole molecule has to work to uh, lower a person's blood sugar in its 72 amino acids, but our immune system would break up a 72 amino acid uh, medicine into three or four 
you know, uh, amino acid long units, so it's right. breaking it up into 20 or 15 or 20 units, and it doesn't work. It doesn't lower the uh, blood sugar. And similarly, uh, the biologics didn't um, uh, have to be given as a, a shot or an IV. But then a third generation of medications came along, and that third generation is a small molecule. Uh, the third generation is called uh, the Janus kinase or JAK inhibitors. Uh, the first Janus kinase inhibitor uh, was, uh, is called Zeljans. It came out in 2012. Uh, two other uh, JAK inhibitors, uh, one called Illumiate or Barcitinib, came out um, in, I believe, 2018, and also in about 2018, uh, another one called Rinvoke. Uh, okay. came out uh, as well. And so these are small molecules. So if the TNF blockers or if the interleukin-6 blockers are not working and if we are trying to get a tight control of the disease but we're not successful in uh, a small percentage of patients uh, that fail a TNF blocker or an interleukin-6 blocker, we have yet another tool to try to get a tight control or to use that uh, to have that goal of remission. So amazing to have so many alternatives. That's so right. We, we, have, we have Tommy on the line for you. Tommy, what is your question for Dr. Goodman? Uh, I got bad arthritis in my hand. It folds with my fingers, folds over, and it goes up my arm, feeling like I got a slingshot in it. Um, uh, and it folds real bad. Um, it is possible that that could be rheumatoid arthritis. Um, sometimes if a person has rheumatoid arthritis affects all of the synovial joints in the body, but the hands are the ones that are the easiest to see by the examiner, but right next to them is the wrist. And if the wrist is involved with rheumatoid arthritis, the wrist joint will swell and the wrist joint can squeeze Tommy on its next door neighbor, which is the carpal tunnel. Uh, so rheumatoid arthritis can be a cause of carpal tunnel syndrome um, and um, that is a pinched nerve in the wrist uh, and in this case uh, it is due to rheumatoid arthritis. So sometimes that feeling of a sling or maybe it feels like a nerve uh, tingling up and down your arm and into your hand, especially on the thumb side of your hand, could be rheumatoid arthritis with a complication uh, known as carpal tunnel syndrome. Well, I hope that's helpful, I to Tommy. Doctor, uh, I went to the doctor one time before and they said I didn't have complicola. I got the arthritis. Okay. And uh, I wore a brace. I wore a brace to, to try to keep my fingers from going down, but it don't work. Yes, sir. Um, so there are about five different diseases that can cause arthritis in the hands. Rheumatoid arthritis is the second most common disease. The most common disease is osteoarthritis, and then a close third is psoriatic arthritis. Occasionally, lupus and Sjogren's syndrome can cause uh, an inflammatory arthritis in the hands. But there are about five or six diseases that can cause inflammation like you're describing. And you start out with your primary care doctor um, and uh, let him uh, see if he can determine is it osteoarthritis, might it be rheumatoid arthritis, might it be psoriatic arthritis, or some of these other diseases. And if he can't get to the bottom of it, he can certainly uh, uh, suggest seeing a rheumatologist. Uh, can I get him to refer me to you? You can certainly do that. Uh, just talk to your primary care doctor, um, and uh, he can certainly may make a referral to me. 
Uh, my, I'm in Shreveport. My phone number is 318-424. Hang on, wait. Wait a minute. It's Three, on the web. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 318. 424-424-9240. 9240. Thanks, Tommy. Dr. Goodman. Yeah, and uh, we, that's what rheumatologists do all the time. Thanks for your call. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Tommy. That was very helpful. That was very yeah. helpful for him to call and want to be and go through the channels and talk to his doctor and then come see you. He knows exactly who he wants to ask yes. for. And, uh -huh. and it was interesting to find out the different types that you said can cause what he's causing. So to get to the bottom of it. Now yeah. we have another yeah. caller for you. Okay. Kay, what is your question for Dr. Goodman? Hello, Kay. Hey, Dr. Goodman. Um, been diagnosed four years ago. I'm not a patient of yours. I've had bad luck with the DMARD. Mainly my lab work uh, has been really bad. The doctors have had to take me off the usual DMARDs. My and, question is And your diagnosis I, is rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. And, and the medicines have helped me, some of them. Uh, that's not been the problem. It's just the labs, uh, the doctors. I'm just one of the unlucky ones that seem to have trouble. My question is this, and this may not be a fair question to ask you. I'm pretty well... No medicine right now, trying to control it myself, and doing okay. The thing that concerns me is what might happen beside the crippling hands. How, how much, you know, like the problems with your heart and things like that. Are those things rare? Is that something I should really be concerned about by not taking uh, my medicine? Um, that is a great question. The um, in rheumatoid arthritis, we think most of the, there is some effect on other organs like the heart uh, and, and some other organs as well. Not as much with rheumatoid arthritis as with its cousin disease that I mentioned earlier, lupus. Lupus can cause more heart disease than rheumatoid arthritis. And rheumatic fever, uh, uh, which is a reactive arthritis to strep, um, uh, can cause more heart disease as well, and it can cause rheumatic heart valve problems. Um, and that's probably the second most common reason to have a heart valve replaced. So I would not give up. Talk to your rheumatologist about that uh, because there are ways to help uh, rheumatoid arthritis if you're having liver problems, if you're having anemia problems. And, and it's a, sort of a complicated issue. It's not that um, the medicine that is you're on for rheumatoid arthritis always is the cause of liver disease or always is the cause of anemia. It requires a little bit of medical detective work and, and thinking through it. Um, and sometimes if you're having some of these side effects with one group of medicine, say methotrexate, which is very commonly used, it might be that the uh, rheumatologist can create a treatment plan for you utilizing some of these other medications, perhaps just a TNF blocker alone, or perhaps an interleukin-6 blocker alone, or a JAK inhibitor alone, and get around whatever side effects that they're running into. So. Okay, uh, well thank, thank you so much, Doctor. I appreciate your time. Thanks for your call. And that is really another good question too. It's so valid to ask that. You know, there are a lot of people nowadays who are making decisions uh, on whether they want to take medication or not. So to be able to ask that that one step further, I just don't want to take it, I'm just going to go on my own, but they might not be aware of the repercussions, the true deeply 
um, deep repercussions of not taking your medication. Yeah, and and um, in in Europe, in um, in the Netherlands, uh, Dr. Van der Heide, who is apparently uh, an epidemiologist who can get data from their national health system in the Netherlands and can look at millions of people, looked at millions of patients and hundreds of thousands of patients that were on our medicines for rheumatoid arthritis. And lo and behold, they had less heart disease, less heart attacks than the general population not on the medication well, for rheumatoid arthritis. So, so while the uh, rheumatologists in the Netherlands were diminishing inflammation in the joints, they were also diminishing inflammation in the coronary arteries and perhaps in the heart valves and at least in, in it it's not to say that treatment of rheumatoid arthritis with rheumatoid arthritis medications cures heart disease. I'm not saying that at all. Right. But it, it doesn't make it worse and may make it a little bit better. That's an interesting point, too. You just never know. So don't take it counting on it benefiting other things, but you never know what else and, and the is going to help. And the fact that we have these additional medications, um, if a medication like a tumor necrosis factor blocker or a, a DMARD, uh, is running into problems, we have other tools. We have other, uh, a next generation of medications so that we could even uh, uh, use medications if a, if a woman is pregnant. Um, and uh, there are some medicines that are an absolute no-no uh, when you're treating rheumatoid arthritis. But we now have more flexibility to get around if somebody, uh, like the previous caller, is having liver problems or if somebody is having an anemia problem or if somebody has coexisting conditions while they're on a, a blood thinner uh, because they have AFib or, or so forth, then we can try to use our group of our basket of medicines, uh, our toolbox, and take the tools out that would cause side effects in this particular patient, but pull, pull in the tools that will get around that uh, right. other medical problem. So it gives me and other rheumatologists more flexibility in helping patients that we couldn't help before. That's fascinating. It really is. And Kay mentioned DMARD. Is that DMARD. right? So is that a common term for medication that um, someone has gone for that? That generation before <laughs> 2000 that included methotrexate and, and included uh, hydroxychloroquine or Plaquenil and actually included the old gold shots <laughs> was called the disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or DMARDs for short. Gotcha. And so that group of DMARDs is sort of a baseline. And then in the late 90s and early 2000s, the first generation of biologicals felt that the DMARDs were doing some good, so they would uh, say, okay, let's keep people on methotrexate and add our medicine. Let's add Enbrel. Let's add Humira, let's add uh, Remicade, let's add a TNF blocker to our DMARD and then okay, we've proved to the FDA that we can make, we can make a difference. We can go from say six swollen joints on average with methotrexate alone and we introduce Humira and we drop to two swollen joints and that, and then we can prove to the FDA that we make a difference and so the FDA grants approval to generation number one. Then the FDA, then um, the next group builds on that. Well, let's compare us to Humira and methotrexate, compare 
the uh, interleukin-6 blockers compare the JAK inhibitors to what was established in 2002, are we adding something to the equation? Are we adding a tool to the rheumatologist toolbox who may have K um, and she's running into liver problems? and uh, so that we can treat more and more people. And it may not be that one medication uh, is that much better than the other medication, but it might, but uh, one medication might uh, help 70% of people, and then another medication might help 70% uh, of people, but it might be a different 70%. And mm. together, um, <coughs> if we are not getting to our target of near remission with this medication we might be able to switch to something else. Yeah, it's really remarkable that um, you know, so we know so much and about different medications that you can add something to some, not necessarily try an entirely different medication. It's not like my mother with her cancer. I know that they tried one and then it didn't work as they planned, but they weren't necessarily going to switch her to something. It's like, we can add this to it next time and maybe this will help. So it's interesting that the combination of medications instead of even just a whole new one. That's right, and, and so uh, because <clears throat> medications, and, and in cancer, uh, which is obviously a complex uh, problem biologically, and rheumatoid arthritis is a complex problem biologically, and so you can build on uh, this medication has this strength, but it has these weaknesses, and maybe we can put it together with another medication that has strengths and weaknesses, um, and the combination of the biologics um, with methotrexate is sort of a standard uh, that has been studied for the past 20 years to try to, and the, the whole goal is to, to be able to offer more people better treatments that are safer, uh, that preserve joints and get, get us into remission. And we're better able to do that. It might not be, it's, it's kind of like you don't often, you know, a, a baseball team doesn't hit a home run, but, um, you know, maybe they make it to first or second base and then they uh, steal a base and, <laughs> and then they uh, get a, a, a hit into right field and together oh, <laughs> it makes, um, makes uh, a run. Um, and in medicine, it's kind of the same way. Maybe um, a medication <laughs> takes us a certain distance, but then we add something else and eh, that didn't work out. But it didn't cause any major side effects, but it just didn't work. And then three or four months later, we say, let's try a third medication. Let's move on to an interleukin-6 blocker. Let's move on to a Janus kinase inhibitor. Or um, uh, a person might have a totally different uh, autoimmune disease, or they, they have a cancer. And lo and behold, um, uh, the chance of having lymphoma with rheumatoid arthritis is greater than the chance of having lymphoma in the general population. Now that is not due to the medications that are treating rheumatoid arthritis, that's due to the biology of rheumatoid arthritis involves lymphocytes and the biology of lymphoma involves lymphocytes. So a medicine called rituxan was used for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and indicated for it in 1999. And then in 2009, <laughs> 10 years later, it got an indication for rheumatoid arthritis. So, huh. so if I see a person who was treated in 2004 for lymphoma and they see me in 2019 or 2022 for rheumatoid arthritis, I will say, why don't we bypass methotrexate? Why don't we bypass the TNF blockers and put rituxan as our uh, treatment option? And 
will check with your oncologist and the oncologist will say, Dr. Goodman, I love that idea because that can, <laughs> we could be killing two birds with one stone. So, uh, and that happens in, in some diseases in, uh, as well. In Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, uh, have that overlapping uh, issue as well. And it's interesting that you're talking about, I and mean, you just want to make the quality of life better. And so you talk about Crohn's disease, another disease that is very uncomfortable and really inhibits your, your daily life too with rheumatoid arthritis. When and you and that, that first generation, that TNF blocker generation, uh, just a months before it got the indication for rheumatoid arthritis, it got the indication for Crohn's disease. Wow. So TNF blockers work for both diseases. Uh, just like that sulfasalazine medication that I mentioned, Dr. Nana Schwartz, uh, in the 1930s, um, it, she put together aspirin and a sulfa drug together, and it worked for rheumatoid arthritis and it worked for Crohn's disease. Wow. Uh, but we're still building on, on um, the uh, shoulders of Dr. Schwartz and, and so many others. Incredible. I want to take a minute to remind everyone, if you just joined us, we're discussing rheumatoid arthritis and the treatment of it with Dr. Robert Goodman, certifi board-certified rheumatologist right here in Shreveport. And you're accepting new patients, right, Doctor? I am. All I right, am. yes, and, and physician referral is not necessary. That's correct. All right, and what is and, your phone number? Uh, phone number is 318-424-9240, and I'm, uh, our website is arthdoc.com, and we are on Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, uh, forward dot com forward slash arthdoc. That's right. And we did talk about not needing a referral, but you did suggest sometimes go see your primary physician first if you have questions yes. and then. See your primary physician and the, the primary physician can uh, take care of some questions, but if they say, I think you ought to see a rheumatologist, then you can give us a call. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. Again, what a wonderful conversation, and um, we appreciate you coming and talk to us about rheumatoid arthritis, all the treatments. Is there one last thing you'd like to leave everyone with today? Um, I would like to make the point that if you've run into problems in roadblocks in the past, there are new medications okay. and new approaches that could help. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3.